It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming up, a sit-down with PFF's very own Sam Monson, who tells us what the dream scenario for the Vikings draft looks like. And if they wait on a quarterback until day two or three, who's the best fit inside of Kevin O'Connell's system? It's all coming up next on a very special draft edition of the Football Party. Don't go anywhere. Locked on Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Back in the lab, another edition of the Football Party on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network, your daily breakdown of everything Minnesota Vikings, which you can now find streaming on your Roku or Amazon Fire Stick devices. Just look out for and download our Lockdown Sports Minnesota app there as well. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Sam, we got a very special guest today I can't wait to get into, but first things first, remember, if you haven't already, go sign up for the weekly NFL Draft newsletter up on the Lockdown homepage. Find all the latest news and notes surrounding the NFL Draft. This week, I've got my bold predictions plus the biggest sleeper in each round of the draft. So go sign up for that right after this. Also remember, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Okay, Sam Munson from PFF coming right up. Trust me when I say you don't want to miss this interview. It's absolutely loaded with NFL draft nuggets, and they're all tied back to the Minnesota Vikings. Before we get into that, though, Sam, yeah, we're just single digits away from the draft weekend, so I want... One bold prediction from you could be anything, a first round faller, a major surprise at the top. What's one bold prediction you think will unfold just a little over a week from today? So if it's bold, it's got to be unlikely to happen. Like Correct. by definition, this is not the, the the favored result. What about Zay Flowers being the top receiver to come off the board? Ooh, um, Quentin Johnston's been been fallen, not out of the first round, but he's been dropping just a little bit, I think, in, in the consensus. Jordan Addison, same. Jordan Addison has not had an overwhelmingly good pre-draft process. If anyone's a big winner here, it's Jackson Smith and Jigba. But I also think that kind of by default, Zay Flowers ha- has risen on a lot of these mocks to where he's, in a lot of cases, the number two wide receiver taken off the board. And a lot of times that that top receiver, it's always the bigger body. It's it's the receiver that kind of has that hybrid of size and speed. And, and it's very easy to get enamored by those receivers. But Flowers doesn't have the size, but he's got the speed. And we see players like Devontae Smith, uh, who got drafted very high by the Eagles. You know, Tyreek Hill is a game-changing wide receiver in this league. I, I just, I think that we're slowly getting to a point where it's not all about size for receivers. Like it's more about separation, speed, hands, and you don't have to be big to have those things. 
And Zay Flowers could be so valuable to any of these teams, like in the top 15. Um, the Jets, you know, give Aaron Rodgers a kind of a, a new toy to, to play with there with the Jets. Uh, you've got the Texans who need a ton of help uh, with their offensive weapons. I think Tennessee could stand to, to add a receiver as well. So Zay Flowers, wide receiver one, what do you think? I was listening to Steve Smith break down this wide receiver class. First of all, just phenomenal listen to hear him talk X's and O's about the position that he played. When he got to Zay Flowers, the way he spoke so highly of this prospect coming out and the offensive weapon that he is, a movable piece in somebody's offense, was just so intriguing. The film that they broke down and showed and displayed uh, was just absolutely outstanding. And he really sold me on why Zay Flowers not only should be a high pick, but will be successful in the NFL too. So yeah, you mentioned a few teams there in that top 15-ish, you know, even Chicago at nine sitting there, Philly at 10, Tennessee at 11, Houston at 12, something like that. I've seen a lot of mock drafts where the New England Patriots, who are in desperate need of offensive playmakers, they circle Zay Flowers, they punch their ticket and get some offensive help from Mac Jones. Here's my bold prediction. Bijan Robinson will not only go in the top 10 picks, but he'll Ooh. be the first non-quarterback offensive player selected. And he'll be one of the best draft picks in the class when we look back three, four years from now. And I know that ruffles a lot of feathers. It riles everyone up, and I get it. I really do. The blueprint clearly shows you're not supposed to take running backs early in the draft anymore. You can find these guys later on. You can get more value from your draft capital. And for the most part, I totally agree. But this isn't what we would do. This is a bold prediction I think will happen. And here's what I know. I know, first of all, this guy is one of the top three players in this entire draft class from a pure talent evaluation standpoint. So every single team is going to be able to find a way justify taking this guy in the top 10, especially in what's a weaker class than we're kind of typically used to, especially just stacked up over the last previous year or two. That means there's not a ton of teams who can just cross off the list that wouldn't be drafting an upgrade at an offensive skill position if they added a guy like B. John Robinson to their team. And that's because so many teams right now do implement that running back by committee rotation. More importantly than that, in an era that preaches don't pay running backs big money that we talk about constantly on the football party every week, it seems like, which I agree with and understand wholeheartedly. I think we all do. We're all on the same page. The thing you have to remember and understand is that these teams aren't thinking about paying Bijan big money when they draft him. They're thinking about the five years they're going to get a potential Pro Bowl player at an offensive skill position that they only have to pay peanuts to. And the type of production he's going to give them for a half decade before they even have to think about making that decision to pay him big money. And those five years of production are going to be so beneficial to their team and their offense and so impactful while still being wildly cost-effective. That's all these teams and these coaches and these GMs are thinking about right now. Because remember, especially with teams picking in the top 10, these coaches and GMs are coming off really bad seasons. And they're thinking about, how can I save my job this year? 
They're not worried about five years from now when they finally have to pay him, you know, Derrick Henry kind of money. They'll cross that bridge when they get there. And again, for the teams that are in a playoff window, what a benefit to having a superstar playmaker on your offense that I only have to pay rookie money to for the next five years. That's what these teams are thinking about and focused on. This guy is a movable weapon that can be a, a workhorse on one drive and a legitimate wide receiver on the next. Sam, he scored a 74 PFF receiving grade. That's Jamar Gibbs stuff from a grade standpoint as a receiver. He had zero drops, zero. He's not just a running back is my point. He's an offensive weapon. He's scheme proof. Doesn't matter what kind of offense you run. He could play wide receiver tomorrow if you asked him to. He just does all the little things right. His football IQ, it's off the charts. And that's what people need to remember when they see him get drafted in the top 10 next weekend because it will happen, whether fans like it or not, because he's just that good. Lovely confidence. Yeah, he's just that safe of a pick. for. Here's why you're right. Here's why you're going to be proven right. How many teams have multiple picks in the first round, Luke? I know the answer, but I'm asking you. Tell the people. Uh, You got Seattle. You got Philly. You got Detroit. I think those are the three. All right. Hey, do those teams have picks in the top 10? Actually, Sam, they all do. They all do. Um, Are those teams in a playoff window? (laughs) Actually, Sam, now that you just bring it up out of the blue, they're all in a playoff window. And they have multiple first-round picks, you say. That's right. These playoff teams, two of them were in the playoffs last year. Detroit was one game away. They can add a dynamic offensive weapon to an already good roster and still have another first-round pick? So you're not putting all your eggs in the running back basket? You still get another one? That's what you're telling me? That's right. That's oh. right. And and even if you the great point by the way Sam and even if you only get him for 5 years and then dump him. That's fine. Those 5 years are going to be worth especially to those playoff teams worth the price of admission for the things he's going to be able to do for your offense. Atlanta at 8 is another one. They run that uh, run heavy scheme. That would be fun. That's a great fit. How about Chicago at 9? Nobody ever talks about. You want to get Justin Fields some help? It doesn't have to be an offensive lineman or receiver. You get Bijan in the backfield. There's no better help to a quarterback than an elite running game and a weapon like that. Philly at 10. uh, That seems to be the favorite right now, so I'm glad you brought them up. Howie Roseman usually sticks in the trenches, but I'm telling you, multiple firsts, like you mentioned, Super Bowl window. They just let Miles Sanders walk. They just paid Jalen Hurts a king's ransom. Can you imagine, though, Hurts and Bijan in the same backfield? I mean, that's video game stuff. That's one of my bold predictions. Love your bold predictions. Zay Flowers uh, being the first wide receiver taken as well. Go check out the Lockdown NFL Draft newsletter and uh, make sure you sign up for that after this episode as well. All right, Sam Monson sit down coming up. But first, don't forget, we're presented by FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of Locked On, America's number one sportsbook and official sportsbook partner of the NBA. T-Wolves trying to steal one from the Nuggets Friday night. That spread currently sitting at Nuggets by eight and a half. Get in on all the action at FanDuel.com slash locked on. And remember, if you're a new customer, try out the no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, download the easy to use FanDuel app and get your winnings instantly. Money lines, parlays, prop bets. FanDuel's got everything you need to close out the NBA season's final stretch. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of Locked On. 
We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, without further ado, our sit-down with PFF's very own Sam Monson, who talks about the 2023 draft class and the best fits and best targets for your Minnesota Vikings. Take a listen. Back in the lab, here with a special guest, PFF's very own Sam Monson, co-host of everyone's favorite show, the PFF NFL Podcast. Sam, it's our favorite time of year, man. The countdown is on just days away from the NFL draft. At this point in the process now, like you've watched all the tape, You've crunched all the combine and pro day numbers. Now do you just sit back and try to connect the dots and the rumors and the mock drafts we're reading about? Or where are you at in the process with just a few weeks to go? Yeah, I think a lot of it is still, um, it's really finalizing everything at this point. Like we have a good handle on, um, you know, all the players, where they fit relative to uh, each position. But then it's a case of number one, all the data is kind of coming in now, whether it's pro days, whether it's everybody else's rankings, to me, all of these things are checks and or, or affirmations of what you thought in the first place. And either way, I think you should be using it as a sort of check to your own process. So if there's a guy you're way higher or lower on than everybody else, you know, go have a look, see why. Make sure that you're happy with that dynamic. And sometimes I think you're going to find out that you're not, right? That, that whatever happened in the first time around you got something wrong or you over-evaluated something or whatever. And me and Mike Renner talked about that on our podcast today and the sort of various reasons that, that are kind of random or outside of your control that you might have just kind of got a guy's evaluation wrong the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, an important part of it. And then figuring out where these sort of um, – like where the value in certain things lies and, and when is the sort of the most sensible place – to take some of these players because that I think is still firmly debatable. You have a really good handle on what a guy is, but the idea of exactly where that is or where that's worth taking in the draft is a very movable um, discussion point. And I think it's dependent on a bunch of different things, not necessarily all locked down, but also the change every year, you know, relative to other strengths in the draft relative to where everybody else has a guy rated relative to how strong the draft is overall so that's i think the the mode we're in right now is kind of finalizing all of your rankings making sure you're happy with um your evaluation on certain players when other guy or you know other people are bringing up names or or rankings look wildly different or new information is coming in and then having discussions about those things you know what is the value of a slot only receiver what is the value of you know, a tackle with whatever uh, issue with his game he has, all those kinds of issues. I'm so glad you brought up value because that's really, at the end of the day, the name of the game draft weekend. Who can win as far as value perspective goes? Positional value and everything else when you take those things into consideration. A lot of different variables, a lot of different elements to the draft process. Uh, Most of you listening at home already follow Sam on Twitter, but if you're not, make sure to do so. It's at PFF 
underscore Sam. I want to talk about draft prospects with you. Let's take a quick step back first. This class as a whole, what makes it different? Because, I mean, they're all unique in its own right, and that's what makes it so much fun every year. For example, if we stack this year's class up against a few years prior, what makes this one so special? And maybe just some of the strengths and weaknesses, if you will. I think it's a strange draft class. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of interest this year, obviously, because there's quarterbacks at the top, which isn't the case all the time. It certainly wasn't the case last year. And that makes everybody excited because you have this discussion. And this year, more than a lot of years, because the let's call them the big four quarterbacks Mm -hmm. are all wildly different in terms of strengths, weaknesses, all those kinds of things. So that immediately starts the interest level with this draft in a really high place. It's a strange group, though, because outside of those quarterbacks, I don't think it's very strong in terms of blue chip players. The the very peak end of the draft is not necessarily stocked full of really elite talent. But I think the depth is quite strong in a lot of positions. Wide receiver, cornerback, those are two spots in particular where the, the position group breaks down along those lines where you don't love the very, very peak of the, the group. But as soon as you get into the kind of second and third wave, I think there's a ton of players that are really useful and the depth keeps going for a long time. I think generally that's the story of this draft uh, with, outside of a couple of positions that you know have a lot of strengths and weaknesses. Tight end group is incredible. I think the running back is, group is really strong. There's a couple of spots where there's there's a different dynamic at play. But overall, I think that's what the draft looks like. And just to echo you, once you get past these quarterbacks and you just kind of compare and contrast this year to last year's, the last couple of years, prospects coming out, I don't think anyone would have had any of these wide receivers ranked higher than maybe Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddell. I right. think all the tackles like Evan Neal, Icky, Charles Cross probably ranked higher than Broderick Jones and Paris Johnson, depending on who you ask. Everyone loved Kyle Hamilton far more than any safety coming out this year, so it seems. Mm-hmm. And even like Trevon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson, they go bang, bang, one and two. I don't know if either of those guys grade out higher than Will Anderson or even cornerback Gonzalez and Witherspoon. Neither of those guys probably go before Sauce Gardner either. So you get the quarterbacks this year. You nailed that. You're right. And then you get these elite blue chip, you know, like a running back, B. John Robinson. I'm glad you brought up the tight end class. I want to ask you about that. You know, just in general, the consensus is this is one of the best tight end classes we've seen in a while. Have you noticed anything interesting with the trends with these young tight ends coming out the last, I don't know, four or five, six years or so? Because Kyle Pitts, for example, I thought he was going to take the league by storm. He certainly flashed some, but a little inconsistent last year for a top five pick. TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fan probably aren't drafted as high in a redraft, although Hawkinson's obviously been super solid. Cole Komet, we're still trying to figure out. And when you look at the best two tight ends in the league right now, Kelsey and George Kittle, talking about a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick, does the data or metrics show us anything that can help correlate maybe why these tight ends taken so early have had such a hard time coming out the gate as quickly as we hoped? I mean, is it just the makeup of the position that we should, I don't know, start practicing some more patience with these guys, maybe a little bit more than we're used to? Or is that how it's kind of always been and just nobody really ever talked about it? I think it's definitely a difficult position to play these days in the NFL. You know, they're asked to do an awful lot of different things. And you hear tight end kind of advocates like 
tight ends, essentially. You hear those guys talk about what a difficult job it is. They have to block like a tackle. They have to run routes and make plays like a wide receiver. You know, it's 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 a really difficult job when you sort of describe it like that. And I think you can see some evidence of that. The the position at the college level has become very strange because a lot of teams, you know, so many teams now with running these wide open spread systems, the tight end position has kind of been left behind. And there aren't that many of these guys coming out um, in most years. And I think a lot of what you see is just a real lack of numbers in, in most years. Um, and Kyle Pitts was kind of a unicorn type of prospect and I think probably deserves to be in his own little discussion somewhere mm -hmm. else. But a lot of these guys, I think that is a, is what you see most years when the tight end class isn't great is there's just such a small number of these guys coming out at any one time. This year, for some reason, I think we've seen a real a lot of these guys coming out at the same time who have come from offenses that actually did use their tight end and did feature them at a pretty high rate. But guys like Kittle, um, the Kittle had really small sample size of play. Like it wasn't that when you go, I think, and you go back and look at his sort of uh, conversation coming out, and I did this a while ago, everyone liked him. You know, a lot of people mm -hmm. loved what Kittle could do and the skill set was there. And it was just we were dealing with hardly any tape of him actually doing That's what right. he did. You know, and I was projecting right. what that would be at the next level. And obviously, in the bigger role, he ended up excelling. But I think it's become a very difficult position to evaluate because most years you just don't have a big sample size of a lot of guys with a heavy usage pattern who can do all the things that they're going to need to do. Uh, speaking of Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, Vikings GM, Really tough for us here covering this team. We don't have a lot to go off of yet. We're still using a very small sample size when it comes to his draft tendencies. I did notice last year he really valued the lower body explosion drills, specifically the 10-yard splits. In fact, Lewis Seen, Brian Osamoa, Ty Chandler, Jalen Naylor, even the guard, Ed Ingram, all tested in the top 90th percentile in that category just taking that information, knowing the team's needs, where they're picking kind of thing, is there a guy or two top of your head that just kind of fits that description? Or is there any other patterns or tendencies you've noticed with Quasi's moves thus far throughout his uh, you know, first year and a half? Yeah, it's, it's, an interesting, um, it's an interesting thing to note because I know uh, uh, my podcast co-host, Steve Palazzolo, we talk a lot about this model, this draft model that he's created uh, on his own and some giant monster spreadsheet. And one of the things he's been doing is kind of mapping various athleticism measures to war, wins above replacement at the next level, and, and essentially trying to figure out what part of the athletic profile actually tracks with production. And obviously it depends on position and those kinds of things, but the explosion numbers are very important at certain positions, like way more important than the 40, way more important than even some change of direction drills. Those 10-yard split, the vertical jump, the broad jump are, are super important at a couple of spots, and defensive back is definitely one of them. So mm -hmm. that that does track, I think, with some of that information that – you know, the real explosion numbers are definitely key data points at, at certain spots. I haven't actually, off the top of my head, I can't think of too many players who did post insane, um, you know, the explosion numbers that would uh, that would make them obvious targets. But a lot of the kind of guys that had overall really impressive workouts ticked those boxes. You know, they, they ran, they had exp incredible explosion numbers on top of the, the 40 time that gets all the headlines. 
Um, switch gears a little bit. Tons of speculation swirling around Hendon Hooker right now. I mean, three weeks ago, the guy's a third-round pick. Now you sit here today, you got McShay, you got Daniel Jeremiah putting Hooker in round one to the Vikings. You got Mike Tannenbaum putting him top five to Seattle, maybe just yeah. for the clicks, who knows. But <laughs> what, what's your evaluation of Hendon Hooker? Because he's a name that's really tied to the Minnesota Vikings, at least this week. Does he have the goods? Does he have the tools? Is there enough there worthy of a first-round pick? And if you're a Quasi or KOC, is this something you'd consider in round one? Or would you lean maybe a different direction? Yeah, the problem is I just don't see how anybody could answer that question definitively based off mm -hmm. what we know about him so far like my it's such a difficult evaluation because that offense at Tennessee is so far divorced from any NFL offense like it's not that we know he can't do things it's that we just don't know if he's going to be able to do the things he needs to do at the NFL he in his entire Tennessee career had to go beyond his first kind of look read whether it's a uh, an either or read, a high low, uh, you know, left or right, whatever the, the read is. Basically, you have to move beyond that to a different area of the field 15 times. Like you might have to do that 15 times in a game in the NFL. <laughs> like it's it's a totally different world. So and that's before you get to the idea that in his either or read his high low. Usually the guy is wide open like it's it's a coverage bust and Jalen Hyatt has been uncovered coming out of the slot with nobody tracking him and the, the route combination has just caused a complete collapse. So we know he's got an arm. We know he's accurate. We know he's got good athleticism. Um, and generally speaking, in in what is a was, was a fairly kind of idiot proof to use that term offense, like mm -hmm. one guy's covered, one guy's wide open. Right. He hits the right guy. So from what he was asked to do, he did a really good job. Um, and the kind of abstract tools that he has make sense. Like he has an NFL arm. He's got NFL athleticism. He's got NFL stature. And from all reports, he's been great in terms of interviews, whiteboard, all that kind of stuff that we don't really get to see, but goes on behind the scenes and is really important. But it's still a big projection to go from there to – does that all hold in an NFL offense when guys are covered and when he has to go through full field reads and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a lot to like for him as a prospect. I just can't understand how you can get as far as putting him in the first round and being as comfortable with all the unknowns um, as people seem to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so curious. I would love to be a fly in the wall with those conversations that Kevin O'Connell and Quasey and Wes Phillips are having about some of these quarterbacks. Obviously at the end of the day, they got to sign off on these guys right. and KOC has got to have confidence that, yep, he's got enough there. Give me two, three years. I think there's something there. I can do something with that. Um, just and by the just, way. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. And by the way, he's like 25 and coming off an ACL as well. I know like he's, I there's know a it. couple of other things that sort of that, that are in that world of, well, that's, that's not ideal if we're spending a first-round pick on a guy. 100%. And, and then you got, you know, Devil's Advocate comes out and says, yeah, I know it's a gimmicky offense, but look at what he did against Nick Saban, the best defensive mind in the country. You got five All-Americans on that defense, five touchdowns, one interception. Like, maybe there is something there. At what point are you talking yourself into a pick? That's when maybe you start to get yourself into a little bit of trouble. He's going to be very interesting uh, when we look back three, four, five years. Put yourself in their position, just the war room, Vikings war room. Don't have a lot of ammo. No second rounder for the TJ Hawkinson trade. No sixth rounder. Picking all the way at 23. You didn't extend Kirk Cousins. 
is there an ideal scenario for you or, you know, a plan A? If so, what would that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think they're an obvious candidate, as they are a lot of times, to trade down. You know, mm-hmm. if, if the ball board falls a certain way, if somebody's on the board that everybody else is coveting, to get out of that, pick up extra draft capital and, and you know, maximize the the number of lottery tickets you're buying. Um, the There's also that strange world where, okay, the Hendon Hooker thing is coming I think largely as a product of, at least in Minnesota's terms, of the fact that they didn't extend Cousins, they have to presumably be looking to the future at some point. You know, there is there's a scenario where this top four group of quarterbacks, one of those guys starts to slip. And if they do, there are teams, I think, in the back end of the first round, in you know the second half of the first round, that I think are going to start being interested in maybe jumping up and snacking a guy that they didn't think they were going to have an opportunity at and it's going to depend what your evaluation of that four is there are people that have will levis as the second quarterback in the draft there are people that have will levis as the fifth quarterback in the draft like if you love a will levis and he starts to slide maybe a team like minnesota or tampa bay tries to make a trade and jump up to you know 11 13 wherever and and tries to get a guy like that so i think that's definitely a live option for minnesota if that does materialize but otherwise i think they're definitely going to be looking to trade down and try and pick up some draft picks yeah to your point obviously depends on who's there right but now there's all of a sudden a scenario since the bears traded out panthers are up at one maybe chris ballard out of all this maybe chris ballard's the one who ends up getting screwed ends up having to take the fourth best quarterback on his board which would be obviously worst case scenario and then just the fact of i think the first time in the nfl draft history you got quarterback going one two three and four obviously now everybody's looking around like the titans or whoever it may be looking around going all right who's going to be the first to jump on Hendon Hooker so yeah it's going to be very interesting to see how you know the dominoes unfold if you will and if a trade gets done before the draft night even occurs for that third pick I'm sure Arizona wants to move back too they're far more than one guy away um, from building a complete team Uh, tons of outliers tons of outlier prospects I should say in this class obviously Bryce Young He's the guy at the top. Clark Phillips, Tredavious Hodgins, Tomlinson, they're both outliers, so small. Kalijah Kansi, about four inches shorter than your ideal defensive tackle. All these guys got great tape, though, and other tools to work with. How do you know when to trust the tape? And I guess out of all these outlier prospects, is there one guy you really love that you're willing to bet on the most? Yeah, it's funny. I I like almost all of the outlier prospects in this draft. Um and I don't think I even realized that until you started listing them there. I suddenly <laughs> went, actually, I like all of these guys. Um, yeah, it's funny. I think to me, outliers are, um, it's often about a threshold thing. And do you meet a certain threshold that we've seen is important at the NFL level? And I don't think all of these outlier things are. So cornerbacks, for example, like if you run slower than a certain speed, there's an almost 0% chance that you can be a solid player at the next level. You just can't survive because of the speed of NFL wide receivers, all this kind of thing. So if you have a cornerback and you love his tape, but it turns out he runs a four seven or whatever, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's not going to work like that. That would have me out, but we've seen there is plenty of, of examples of undersized players surviving on the interior of the defensive line and, and being productive because 
you can hide that more. You don't need to be an every down guy. You you don't need to be on the field and run downs a lot of the time. So, you know, Kalijah can see, obviously he's going to get Aaron Donald comps because they came from the same school and they're almost identical size, uh, speed, all those kinds of things. He's not Aaron Donald. Nobody is. He's a, he's probably a closer comp to Ed Oliver when Ed Oliver was coming out. I like that. Um, and I think he's more developed as a pass rusher than Ed Oliver was. He's got better hands. He's got more pass rushing moves. Um, he's not as good as a run defender, but that's not what you're going to want him to do anyway. And Ed Oliver's kind of struggled as the, at the pass rushing side of being in the NFL. So I think Kansi can definitely thrive at that size. Bryce Young, it's even more extreme, but we know that small quarterbacks can succeed these days. It's not the the kind of the critical problem that people used to think it was. Um, we've sort of slowly and surely been pushing that threshold further and further down. Drew Brees, when he came out, like that was a big problem. Drew Brees is six foot. He's two inches taller than Bryce Young. So, and Kyler Murray as well. Like we've been slowly going down what we think can survive. And each one of these guys that, that shows well, I think is, is, is showing that a guy like that can survive. So Bryce Young his height isn't actually that concerning to me. It's the fact that he's, I mean, I know he listed a 204 at the combine, but mm-hmm. he's 185. Like he's 190 right. maximum. We we know that. That's his playing weight at Alabama. That's what he's going to be. You can just look at him and say he's not 205 pounds. So that's the scary thing. And, and it's not even that he, he takes too many hits. It's at some point, a guy that weighs 320 pounds is going to get him in his grasp. And then you're just a passenger at that stage. That's the concern I think at his size, but I'm not massively worried about it. Like I think, I think he'll work. Um, And then this is a wide receiver group. That's full of tiny guys. And again, really not unprecedented tiny, but like really pushing those boundaries. Um, And again, I think we're starting to see that that's, less of a problem than it used to be. There is a space for really, really small wide receivers in today's NFL. And if I was going to bat for one guy whose measurables or whose outlier thing is just is really out there and really concerning, Tank Dell from Houston, I think he's 160-something pounds at 5'9 or whatever. Like, ridiculous size. But he's so good at everything. And it's like, I hate that he's that small. If he had 10 more pounds on him, like mm-hmm. you wouldn't even think about it, but he's so off the end of the scale in terms of being skinny and slight and undersized, but he's so good at everything. Great releases, uh, great route running speed is there and quickness is there. Uh, he can win contested catches. He can track the ball. He can separate late downfield against much bigger guys. I, I, I think there's enough to go to bat for that guy and say, it will be a huge outlier, but he will be good at the next level. Yeah, I was doing a show with Arif Hassan just yesterday. He said, you know, this wide receiver group, just from a measurable standpoint, they compare to a sports podcaster. So, you know, <laughs> we look around like that. Yeah, you're not wrong, man. I mean, you're right, especially when you look at these top 10, 15 guys, just not what we're used to seeing with the big bodied height, weight, speed guys. Uh, let's jump into our go get your guys segment. Just forget about maybe all the obvious top tier names everyone knows and talks about little rapid fire 20 30 seconds at most just your favorite 
second or third tier guy from each position group that you're willing to just kind of bang the table for you like maybe a little bit more than other people just so people listening at home can write down a few mid to later round names for the Vikings to target just some again non-first round draft crushes basically let's start at quarterback probably not going to get another Brock Purdy in here for a while but if you had to take a shot on one who's the non-first tier name if you will that you'd bet on the most there's a few guys I like later in the quarterback thing. I, I'm not sure where people have Clayton Toon, the Houston quarterback, mm-hmm. Tank Dell's quarterback. Um, yeah. I have him as, I think he might be the fifth best quarterback, sorry, the sixth best quarterback mm-hmm. in this draft. Like he might be right there, fifth and sixth, um, but he could go in the late rounds. And if he does, I think that's your that's your best bet. Stetson Bennett, I think, is going to be a guy at the next level. Like he he's obviously got a lot working against him. He's old. He didn't go to the senior bowl, all this kind of stuff. But he just, he knows how to play like he's going to hang on to an NFL roster. I think he's going to end up being a high end backup. Um, another guy out there, Todd Santeo uh, from James Madison. I think he was a oh, Colorado wow. or Colorado state before mm-hmm. that, something like that. He's good. I, he's got an arm. He's got um, some physicality to him, some athleticism. He's got a lot of really nice plays, really high PFF grade. I don't know. I haven't seen him projected anywhere relatively high, but I would take a swing at him somewhere late in the draft. Love that. Writing that name down right now. Um, Vikings don't go quarterback early in round one. They certainly could be looking for one of those names. I'm glad you mentioned Stenson Bennett, too. Even if he's just a career backup, you find a guy like that in the fifth, sixth, seventh round even. uh, Certainly worth, just from a value perspective, certainly worth it. Another stacked running group. As always, always interesting to see where these guys end up getting drafted, though, just because of mm. how watered down the position already is in the NFL. Your favorite non Bijan Robinson running back from the group <laughs> that you just really like? I, there's a lot of them that I like. There's it's so such many. a deep class. Like I was, I was thinking Pick of a guy flagger. like. Ta- yeah, I was thinking of a guy like Tajay Spears from Tulane. I decided yeah. that was too high a prospect. He might go mm. in the third round, something like that. Um, Deuce Vaughn from uh, Kansas State, just tiny pocket-sized guy, is, is incredibly fun. But I went all the way down the list to Daenerik Prince from um, Tulsa, who – and this is a difficult one because the production isn't amazing. The PFF grading isn't amazing. There's a lot of reasons to not love the dude. But um, – Last season, uh, a guy like Isaiah Pacheco dominated. And the thing that kind of stuck out from his tape is that guy plays with a kind of reckless abandon and a want to that other people don't have. And he comes into contact and he simply wants it more than you do. And he's going to win the contact and get yards after contact and all that stuff because of that. Generic Prince runs like that. He runs like he just wants the yardage more than you want to stop him getting the yardage. And I've decided that that's going to play this year and he's going to catch on and have some production because of that. Feels like the Vikes are ready to move on from Dalvin Cook. I mean, they just have to just from a salary cap perspective at this point. I'm more than fine with their three-headed running back by committee. I wouldn't mind them going after a high-priority undrafted free agent. I have not heard Denary Prince rumored in the even day three. That's the guy that certainly now will be at least just targeting and kind of tracking to see where he ends up going. That's a great one. Uh, favorite wide receiver? I think I already know you're going to go with your boy Tank Dell. How about tight end? Because it's such a loaded class. Who's your favorite guy you can get outside of maybe the first round or two? Yeah, love Tank Dell. I want to circle back to the receivers, though, because oh, sure. I, yeah. I think he'll go way higher than some of these other guys. Real sleepers, like day three guys. Yeah. 
Grant Dubose from Charlotte, I think, has got a ton of talent. Um, hasn't played the game that long, but he's got all the skills, I think, to be a legit NFL player. And then Matt Landers from Arkansas, a guy that was like buried on Georgia's depth chart for a bunch of years, then had to go to uh, uh, Toledo before he got a chance at Arkansas. Um, again, he's got like all the ability. He's big, long. He's got incredible footwork and speed for that size. Those are two guys, I think, that are going to be available day three that could be NFL players. Uh, tight end, as you mentioned, great class. Going deep again, um, Mallory, the, the tight end from uh, Miami. Miami. I, again, another guy where production wasn't necessarily amazing. Um, the grading isn't amazing, but he moved really well when you saw him at the combine. Just He was up there with those guys like Sam Laporta, um, the, the really high-end tight ends who we know are, are great movers and great receivers. He looked every bit as good as those guys did from a fluidity of movement standpoint. His speed was good. He caught the ball well. Um, I need to go back to his tape, actually, because I was so impressed by his combine performance, and yet the, the other data isn't there to say that he should be that guy. I just appreciate that you're coloring outside the box a little bit. I thought you were going to go with Sam Laporta. I've heard his name so many times the last week or so and whoever else. Matt Landers, if you just look at his athletic testing, I just pulled it up. Six foot four, again, a lot of outliers, a lot of small guys in here. Four three seven forty one five one ten 10 yard split. And again, yeah. jump through the roof from an athletic testing standpoint. Top five wide receiver just from the athletic testing, but still plenty to be intrigued about for sure. So I'm really glad you mentioned him. Uh, defensive side, defensive line, tons of sneaky names here at Edge Rusher, tested off the charts this year. Defensive tackle on the other hand, seems to get thin really quick if you need a starter. Who's your favorite defensive lineman just for the value of where they're being projected right now? Yeah, I think you're right. It, it does get pretty thin. I got to be honest, I don't have a a tremendously good one for for the offensive line for the defensive line for linebackers the next sleeper that i really love is in the secondary mm -hmm. um and i think this and it's a it's a local guy i think terrell smith from minnesota i yeah. i don't understand why people aren't higher on his tape um his i well i, I do actually his everything other than last year was not good right. last year was amazing um and I mean, I've talked to, to multiple people who said, if you only looked at last year's tape, you would say this guy's a top 10 corner in this draft class. Um, I think Lance Zerline in NFL.com, he has him in number nine. I think I had him, I, did I have him in my top seven? Something like that. He's good. His yeah. tape is excellent. His workouts were good, not great. Like he, his explosion numbers weren't great, but his 40 was fast. It was fast. Mm -hmm. um, he's big. He's long. I, I just don't understand why he's not being talked about as a much higher prospect than we're, we're seeing. Yeah. Once you get past this, like top tier of names, the Deontay Banks, Joey Porter Jr., all these guys, it seems like you get your Julius Brents is in there and things like that. But some of these guys are getting lost in the shuffle. Obviously, a lot of big Minnesota Golden Gopher fans are going to listen to this. They're going to love that you gave uh, Terrell Smith a shout out. Just because I know there are so many of these cornerbacks to be found this year and the Vikings could end up maybe double dipping and grabbing more than one. I've got a, just a quick little superlative exercise that we'll do just for the DBs, and then we'll get you out of here. Three categories to round this out. Best man cover cornerback, in your opinion, in the draft? Just knowing Brian Flores needs guys who can thrive in the heavy man scheme. Who's the best ball hawk of the group? And then just the biggest hitter, thumper, a.k.a. who's the best tackler in the class? Yeah, so the best 
press man cover corner, I think, is Joey Porter Jr. by a distance. Mm. Um, mm. He's so good, so aggressive. He reminded me a lot of J.C. Horn when J.C. Horn was coming out. And I think he's more fluid in his movements than Horn was. That was a, a kind of criticism or a concern I had about J.C. Horn's tape. I think Porter is better at that. So I think he's by far the best at that. Um I think Deontay Banks is pretty good at that as well. So it's a close run thing. But Joey Porter's got that size and the length to just dominate guys physically in that role. The ball hawk thing is tough. I don't know that there is one this year. It's not a great year for that, um, especially when you factor in the safeties where it's a really bad class. Right. Emmanuel Forbes from uh, Mississippi State, probably mm-hmm. the closest, but I wouldn't like I wouldn't be sort of screaming that from the rooftops. That's his biggest strength. He's just probably as good as it gets. The biggest hitter, though, I think is Devin Witherspoon, despite his size. Um, that guy comes up, hits people like a train, um, does it at 100 miles an hour. Like he, His tape is so fun because of all these plays where he just flies up and, and annihilates ball carriers. Okay, there's a, a gauntlet of teams picking before the Vikings from about 10 to 22. All could justify going cornerback. Will you just... Tell the listeners at home that Joey Porter Jr. and Devon Witherspoon probably won't be there just so they're not disappointed on draft night. They're both long gone at 23, right? Witherspoon, definitely. Joey Porter, I could see being around. Maybe there's a couple of teams that pick in that range that he might get poached just ahead of them. But like because Mm -hmm. he's seen as this man cover specialist, and that I think is a smaller thing than it used to be, I think he's he's lower on the board for a lot of teams than he would be for the Vikings, say, if they're going to run as much man coverage as we expect them to. So, you know, I could definitely see him being available. But Pittsburgh at 17 is a team right. he's got to get past. You know, New England at 14 is a team he's got to get past. Like, that's their problem is that the, the couple of teams that are probably going to be in the same ballpark of looking for a guy like that do pick ahead of Minnesota. Uh, But just a sliver of hope, though, for the people listening at home. You never know. We've seen crazy things happen every single year on draft weekend, which is why it's just so fun and entertaining. Uh, That was tremendous, man. Just an insane amount of knowledge. Some great names to write down for Vikings fans listening at home. Always appreciate your time. You're one of the best in the business. Keep doing your thing over there at PFF. Right. Thanks so much for coming on. Hopefully we'll get to talk to you again real soon. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, so much good stuff there from Munson. He's just a fountain of draft knowledge. I thought it was really interesting. We talk a lot about these quarterbacks, Sam. Vikings being connected to Will Levis or Hendon Hooker, possibly in round one. But if they don't get one of those guys, a lot of people love to fling out Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA, who I like as a day three guy as well. But Monson said Jake Hayner from Houston might be the guy to target. It's his quarterback six on his big board. If not, Stetson Bennett from Georgia he also really loves as well for a day three pick so I thought that was interesting and then also when I asked him about this draft class specifically and what makes this one unique or special kind of like we've been hearing all along another great reminder this class maybe isn't rich at the top it's kind of a strange class as he mentioned but you get into the second third fourth round there's a ton of guys at cornerback and wide receivers specifically, you can find that can come in and make an impact when it comes to building your roster back up like mm-hmm. the Vikings need to do. And knowing those are two massive areas of need right now, and knowing Quasi doesn't have much ammo and is already prone to trading whenever he gets the chance like we saw last year, do you think it's becoming more and more likely he ends up doing everything he can to trade back 
when they get on the clock at 23 and try to stockpile more picks and take advantage of the depth Munson told us about? Yeah, I'm about 62% team trade back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the right thing to do unless you're going to make a splash for a quarterback that you are very passionate about. I, I think the right move is to trade back. And I keep seeing, and I follow these PFF guys, right? Like they've got, they've got the data. They show these charts. And a lot of people have tweeted this out about how trading back is typically the more prudent move. You're going to get more potential starters. You're going to get better value if you add picks there in the top 100. And that, that seems to be Quasi's MO through one draft that we've seen. Um, that could change, but I think Quazy is, is going to stick to his principles. And I think those principles say, Hey, add talent in these top 100 picks. Uh, let's just, you know, take some stabs at several different options and we'll see who sticks as a potential contributor for us. Um, when you wrap it all into one basket, you know, there, there's a lot of, of risk involved in that. And I know Quazy, he's a stock market guy. He's trying to mitigate risk. So unless it's for a very special player where he's trading up, I'm team trade back. I think that's the more likely scenario. Even during the Rick Spielman era, I was always team trade back. But having said that, always, always, always easier said than done to just trade back. Ah, Just trade back. Get more picks. Because you got to have a trade partner, and it takes two to tango. So who's trading up? And for who? Because by the time 23 rolls along, anyone that teams may want to trade up for and target that are still on the board could easily be a guy the Vikings probably need to consider as well, whether it's a quarterback like Will Levis or Hendon Hooker. Maybe it's Joey Porter Jr. or whoever that may be. So easier said than done. And knowing that, I think Quasey may have to bite the bullet this year if he does want to move back that badly and take a deal far less than the quote-unquote market value and give maybe a team a discount, so to speak, just to be able to do so. But if he can, again, major value to be had in that second and third tier of cornerbacks and wideouts this year. And at the end of the day, that's just how you win the draft, by maximizing your value, stretching those picks out into the most lottery tickets possible, as you mentioned. Great stuff, though, per usual, man. Shout out Sam Monson from PFF as the countdown continues just eight days away from the NFL draft. Remember, again, if you haven't already, go sign up for our weekly NFL draft newsletter up on the Lockdown homepage for free. All you need is an email to get all the latest draft coverage. Sam, that's a wrap today. Remember, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And join us every day for another episode of The Football Party, your one-stop shop breakdown of everything Minnesota Vikings. We're a podcast, too, free and available, all platforms. Subscribe, drop us that five-star review, and find us now streaming on your Roku or Amazon Fire Stick devices. Just look out for and download our Lockdown Sports Minnesota app there as well. That's the man, Sam Ekstrom, on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. Check him out every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show. Thanks for tuning in to the football party, part of the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. We're back tomorrow with the mailbag edition with Carol Evans' Reggie Wilson. But until then, I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman, signing out. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.